this book uh, as he uh, opens it up to us and, and reveals some issues and some realities in our own lives. And so because this is kind of like a long weekend, there's actually quite a few people that are missing that have gone and, and taken a break. I thought to myself, let's pause for a moment. Let's, let's not carry on because, you know, the book of Jonah has been incredible. And I don't want people to miss out. I think there's something beautiful about us, you know, exploring that together while we're all present. Um, and so I thought, well, let me, let me take a break this week and, um, and do something different, do something uh, completely different, but somewhat linked to what we've been talking about this morning, this idea of, of freedom, okay? And so if you have your Bible or electronic device, uh, you can meet me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we will be. Uh, we're only going to look at the first five verses, and, uh, and, and what I'm going to do is I'll, uh, I'll read it to us, and then I'll pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you would pray for me, um, and then we'll get to work. Is that okay? Cool? All right. So uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Hear these words of our Father. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that it's true, uh, that it's still relevant for us today. And so I ask that you would uh, reveal yourself to us through this very word, through these few verses, that we would see you for who you are. I ask that you would meet us where we are. You know what each person is going through. And so would your spirit move in such a beautiful and powerful way that we would know that you are present. I pray against any distractions this morning. And so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my mouth, those things you'd have us know, say, and do, that the meditations of my heart be pleasant in your sight. Father, we love you. We praise you, and would you show us through this word our desperate need for you. In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King stands in Washington, D.C. and gives one of the most powerful speeches ever given. Uh, this speech is actually included in um, the many speeches that people would say have gone to change the world. I know many of you are going, well, I know. I know that speech. I know that speech. It's the, I have a dream. I have a dream. You see, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was a leader of a movement that was fighting the injustice that was being experienced in America. And so he stood in D.C. to give this speech, to encourage the movement, to say, guys, we've got to continue to press on. That all of us are created equal. Therefore, all of us should be free. I have a dream. Today we live that dream. 
Many of us live that dream. And so to, to some degree, not only do we stand on the shoulders of those who took to the streets June 16, 1976, but we stand on the shoulders of Martin Luther King and his I have a dream speech. But what I love about the speech is how he ends it. He ends the I have a dream speech with these words. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. See, those are not Martin Luther King Jr.'s words. In fact, he had borrowed those words from what the Americans called the Negro spirituals. These were songs that were sung by the slaves during the the slave era in America. See, what they would do is when they were not working the plantations, they, they would go to maybe a stream, they would gather together and they would sing songs with one another. Singing songs of freedom. And one of those songs was free at last. Thank God Almighty we are free at last. Now if you're following with what I'm saying, you should be sitting there and going, but that doesn't make any sense. Why would those slaves sing that when their present reality was one of slavery? Why would they say we are free at last when in a few Moments they would go back to the plantations and continue to work the fields. See, I believe Galatians chapter 5 answers that question. It reveals to us why those slaves could say we are free at last, even though their present reality was one of slavery. See, we're going to learn three things from these few verses. Three things that are going to help us understand how the slaves, and I believe even us today, We can stand and say we are free at last regardless of our present external realities. We're going to learn three things from Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 to 5. We're going to see that Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to set us free. The second thing we're going to see is the implications of forfeiting that freedom. When we deny that freedom, we're going to see the implications of that. And then the last thing we're going to see is the fruit of that freedom. For those who take hold of it, for those who believe in it, we're going to see the fruit of that freedom. And so the first thing, Jesus came to set us free. We see that in the first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus came to set us free. His very purpose for coming here to earth, leaving heaven, was so that he might set us free. He starts his ministry by communicating this very truth in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. It says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, hear these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came to liberate us. He came to set us free. You see, what was confusing to the Jews back then is is they were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Savior. But they were waiting for someone to roll into town on a horse, 
sword in hand, ready to destroy. You see, they thought that, that their Messiah was coming to liberate them from their slavery from the Roman Empire. External freedom. I'm not saying that that's not important, but don't miss the big picture. See, what Jesus is saying, listen, you, you are enslaved to something far worse than the Romans. You are enslaved to something far worse. It's what we call sin. Sin wants to, to take us captive. It wants to hold us spiritually and lead us to death. And so it was necessary for God to say, hold on, I need to send someone who can live the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And, and because he lived the perfect life, that we could not live, in fact, it was demanded of us, but we could not live it. It allowed a perfect death. See, Jesus died on the cross. And that death was so that we might have freedom. He came to set us free. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. It's talking about Jesus. By his blood. His body was broken. Blood was shed so that we might gain freedom. And so because of this, because of this reality, Paul says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, if you're a city slicker like myself, you, sh- you would read that and go, well, why is Paul talking about eggs? Like the yoke, like this, this makes no sense at all. But, but if you go deeper, you realize that, that, that this yoke that he's talking about, if you're a farmer, then you would understand what he's talking about. It would make sense to you. See, I had no idea. I didn't, didn't even know what a yoke was. Didn't understand what a yoke was, was the purpose of it. And so let me educate some of you. Some of you city slickers. Um, I actually have a picture of what a yoke is. See, that wooden piece with the metal running through it, that's a, that's a yoke. And, and its purpose is to, is to bind the cows so that they might work the fields. It's to control them. To control them. So that's the language that Paul is using. He's saying, listen, because Christ has come to set you free, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't put yourself in there like those cows. See, when the West came to Africa to take slaves, they would put them in a yoke. They would tie them together in a yoke, load them on the ships, take them across the ocean, dump them on American soil, and begin to sell them to whoever wanted men, women, and children to work the fields. One historian says this, they would remove the yokes from the slaves, but to remind them that they are still slaves, that they are no better than the animals on the fields, they would always make sure that they can see the cows with the yokes on. And they would remember that, hey, we were like that. 
just to remind them that you, you're just a slave. That's all that you are. That's the language that Paul uses. He says, guys, once upon a time, that was you. That you were a slave. That you had this yoke around you. That you were being controlled. And your destination was death. Martin Luther, the German reformer, says this. Like oxen that toil in the yoke all day, and in the evening are turned out to graze along the dusty road, and at last are marked for slaughter when they no longer can draw the burden. So those who seek to justify, to be justified by the law. Let me give context to why Paul is saying this to the Galatians. See, Paul had started this church in Galatia. He had planted this church with the beautiful truth that Christ has come to set you free. That that's all that you need. That's all that you need to believe in, is that Jesus has come to set me free. But what was happening is that you had these Judaizers or Judaizers, depending on where you went to school, determine how you pronounce it. They were making their way into the church and beginning to say, hey guys, listen, it's Jesus plus the law. That's what will save you. It's Jesus plus the law. And so all these people were being entangled in, in this false truth that, hold on, so we, we need to live by the law and Jesus, and only then will we be saved. Paul says, don't, don't, don't be entangled in that yoke again. Christ has come to set you free. He's not saying that the law is not important. It has a purpose. The purpose of the law is to show us that we cannot live perfect lives. It's like a mirror. The law should be a mirror. It's something that stands in front of you, and then you go, okay, this is what God calls me to. This is what God calls me to, and I fail time and time again. I cannot do this. I am in desperate need of a Savior. But what they were doing is they were coming in and going, no, 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 listen. It's the law plus Jesus. That's what will save you. Do not be entangled to this yoke, to this bondage, to this slavery. Because its only purpose is to lead you to the slaughterhouse. Just like those cattle. That they are to work the fields. And when they are of no use, their final destination is the slaughterhouse. That's what sin wants to do. It will work you. It will work you. When you want to be accepted and, and, and when you pursue all these things hoping that they will give you life, when you think that your final destination is education, if I get that degree, if I get that PhD, then I'll have life. Sin will drive you. It'll work you. And when it's done with you, it'll leave you for dead. It's hard work living this pretending everything is okay. I got to make sure that, you know, that they look to me and like, no, he's got his act together. It's tiring. It's tiring. That's just a form of slavery. Jesus says, I have come to set you free. I love it. He says, you know what? I know that you're messed up. You don't have to hide with me. I know you're messed up but I have come to set you free. 
Do not be entangled in the yoke again. Jesus has come to set us free. But then Paul moves on and he he begins to talk about the the implications of forfeiting this freedom. The the implications of choosing to, to maybe like, well, maybe it is the law plus Jesus. He talks about the implications of forfeiting this freedom in verse 2. He says, for those of you who accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage to you. He goes on to say, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. When you forfeit this freedom that Christ so graciously gives to us, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You cannot add anything to Christ because Christ himself is perfect. You know what it's like? It's it's like going to one of the greatest restaurants in the city. Many of you uh, have experienced uh, the glory that is Tribeca ribs. If you haven't, I, I am praying for you. That's a good. That's a good word. So, if you go to Brooklyn, there's a restaurant there called Tribeca. They make phenomenal ribs. Phenomenal ribs. I mean, they they smoke them for an extended period of time. Then then they throw um, some spices on them, and just allow those spices to marinate. Then they take those ribs and then throw them on the grill so that the heat begins to infuse with those beautiful spices. And then just at the right time, they remove those ribs off the grill, put them on a plate, and then that plate is taken to your table. Literally, it is perfection on a plate. They bring it just at the right time so that the aromas uh, just so gently come to your nose so that you might truly enjoy, that you might truly savor those, those ribs that have been sent from heaven by God himself. And, I, and so if you want to go this afternoon, um, happy Father's Day. Get the dry rub. Phenomenal. I mean, it's literally, they, they, it just comes off the bone. And so, and so, if I was to sit there and then reach for the tomato sauce, I would hope that the chef would come out of the kitchen and slap me on the face. Because he would say, listen, those are perfect. You don't need to add anything to them. The cross is perfect. You don't need to add anything to it. It's not the law plus Jesus. It's Jesus alone. And so when you forfeit, when you forfeit the freedom that comes from Christ... He is of no advantage to you. You benefit nothing from him. The joy that he comes to give, the satisfaction that he comes to give, the fulfillment that he comes to give is of no benefit to you. Paul says that I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul says, listen, okay, so for those who want to keep the law, that's cool. Keep the whole law. All of it. 
Not the ones that you're good at. Because that's what we do, right? I want to keep the law. So let me pick the ones that I'm really good at that I don't struggle with. Okay, and then I'm going to come up and be like, guys, why didn't you, uh, you failed over there. You didn't do well. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm raising the bar just high enough that I can get over it and then nobody else. And then I judge people on it. That's not perfection. And so Paul says, for those who want to keep the law, you've got to keep the entire law, all 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament. He says, if that's what you want to do, take out your Bible, and you're going to keep every single one of those. He says this because he knows that we can't. We can't. I love the Galatians. I love the fact that they, they chose circumcision. That was the issue. They were saying to people, now listen, uh, if you really truly want to experience the freedom that is found in Christ, you've got to get circumcised plus Jesus. Like that's, that's the easiest one. Right? It happens once and then it's done. And so that's how they were getting people into the church. Paul says, listen, if you want to keep circumcision, if you want to hold to it, believing that that is what will save you, you've got to do all 613 of them. Knowing that we couldn't exposing the reality that we are not perfect and that we are in desperate need of a Savior. He goes on to say that you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now, this might be confusing to some because it's like, well, hold on, how do you fall away from grace? I thought that if I come to Christ, then that's it. Once I'm in, I'm in. Does the scriptures not say, those that are in his hand, you will never be removed? So how does one fall away from Christ? How, how, how is one severed from Christ? Paul's referring to what Jesus had said in Matthew 7. That there's coming a day where many will stand before him and say, Jesus, did we not do this? Did we not do that? Remember, I kept that law. Remember, Jesus, remember, I I was circumcised. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I have no idea who you are. They have fallen from grace. They were never in, in the first place. They were never in, in the first place. Because they were holding on to the law, believing that that's what will save me. Jesus is saying, you, you never came into the party. You stood outside, holding on to the law, thinking that that's what will get you in. You never came in. Because our our works will never be good enough. They will never be good enough. It's only putting our trust and faith in Jesus. Looking to him and saying, you know what, I'm in desperate need of you. I'm in desperate need of you. The law will never be enough. Now I know some might go, you know what, man, I I don't even really know the law. So am I in danger of, of being this? See, let me contextualize it for 2016. Uh, For us, especially in our circles, the the law can be, well, do you know that theological truth? Have you read that uh, theology book? How well do you know systematic theology? That's what we will use. And so we'll say it's, it's that textbook plus Jesus. 
us who call ourselves Reformed will, will look to the theologians of the past, to the works that they did, the, their writings, and we'll go, it's, it's that plus Jesus. How do you not know? How do you not know that, that individual's work? And we say it with, with such intensity, not realizing that what we might be communicating to people, it's that plus Jesus is what will save you. That's what will give you true freedom. Is if you know the five points of Calvin. If you're sitting here and you're going, I have no idea who Calvin is, then you are in a great place. You don't have to worry about that. But it is good stuff. It really is good stuff. But I believe if John Calvin was standing here today, he would say, but it's not me plus Jesus. Because I didn't die for any of you. Jesus did. And it's only when we put our trust and faith in him do we experience the freedom that he has to offer. Jesus came to set us free. Then Paul tells us about the implications of forfeiting that freedom. But then lastly, he talks about the fruit of this freedom that is found in Christ. The fruit of the freedom that is found in Christ. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait this hope of righteousness. That's why the slaves could stand there by the river and say, we are free. We are free. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives you this thing that we call hope. It allows us to, to look for a day, just like Chanel read out of Hebrews, that we gather together to remind ourselves of the freedom that is only found in Christ and then we eagerly await the day that's coming where Jesus will return. And this time he will be on his horse, sword in hand. We eagerly await that day. It allows us to live in a world that is broken, in a world that is filled with challenges, challenges that you are very familiar with because you know what keeps you up at night. But when you trust in Jesus, when the Spirit dwells in you, you go, you know what? It's not about what's happening externally. I'm free in here. I'm free in here. The slaves may go back to the plantation. They were treated horribly, but they knew what lived in here. They knew they were free in here. And so they eagerly awaited the day. That's my hope for us, is that by faith, because of the Spirit that lives in us, that we would eagerly await, that we would say, you know what, we know we live in a broken world. We know we live in a broken world. But because we are free, it allows us to engage with hope. That's why we plant a church. This isn't a book club. It's not about gathering together, reading out a book. Oh, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. No. It's to hear of the freedom that is found in Christ. And then to remind one another that we have hope. By faith, because of His Spirit, we have hope. And so it allows us to engage a broken world that feels like there is no more hope. A world that feels like it's just slavery. 
said, hold on. The one who is righteous. To be righteous is to be right before God. The one who is righteous. Remember, you and I, we're not righteous. But because Jesus lived a perfect life and allowed a perfect death, that righteousness was accredited to us. We go out to the world and we communicate of this hope. We tell people that, listen, I understand your present reality is horrible. But your eternal one could be one of freedom. Your eternal one could be one of freedom. And that is one of the fruits that we get when we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept this gospel of freedom that allows us to engage a broken world. Martin Luther King, in his I Have a Dream speech, He ends it so beautifully by giving the movement hope. We're going to peel back a little bit. He ends it by giving them hope. He says you need to live in light of that hope. You need to live out of that hope. Because I know we're in a struggle at the moment. But the reason we're able to engage is because we are free internally because of what Christ has done on the cross. And so I wanna, I'm going to close with Martin Luther King's words. But before I do that, I, I want to read John 8, verse 36. John 8, verse 36. For some who might be sitting here and wondering, like, oh, can, I, can I gain this freedom? When do I gain this freedom? How do I gain this freedom? Jesus says it here. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's that simple. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Many of us may not feel that way. We may feel that we're enslaved to relationships. We're enslaved to our work. Slaves to the fact that maybe we've got to live this perfect life. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now live out of that freedom. The hope that you've been given, live out of that freedom. It allows us to stand with the slaves. It allows us to stand with Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement. It allows us to stand with those who've gone before us, even right here in this very nation. Many who probably died and, and didn't get to see what we experience today externally. But were willing to push through because of the freedom that they had been given in here. Holding on to hope, knowing that there's a better day coming. And so I'm going to close with Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. And, and I've I've changed it a little bit just to contextualize it for our context. It's not better. It could never be better. Never. But my hope is that it would resonate with us, that that we'd be able to hear those words and be able to go out and go, you know what, Jesus has given me freedom that I no longer have to be enslaved. 
and that he gives me hope to be able to engage into a broken world. And so hear these words of Martin Luther King Jr. And I believe they'll be up on the screen. He ends by saying, and this will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with a new meaning. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And if South Africa is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring from the luscious hilltops of the garden route. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of the Drakensberg. Let freedom ring from the elegant estates of the Cape Winelands. Let freedom ring from the low-felt areas of Mpumalanga. Let freedom ring from the spectacular variety of wildflowers of Namakwalet. But not only that. Let freedom ring from the concrete jungle of Johannesburg. Let freedom ring from the roses of Bloemfontein. Hear this. Let freedom ring from the hidden diversity of Pretoria. The city is rich. It is rich in diversity. And we have the gospel of freedom to be able to go out and to share with people that, listen, God has something far greater than whatever it is that you're pursuing. He has come to free you from whatever you're enslaved in. Let freedom ring from the hidden diversity of Pretoria. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every township, from every province and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, blacks, whites, Indians, coloreds, Jews, Gentiles, reformed and charismatics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And so as we celebrate Father's Day, I want you to know that the greatest gift that your Heavenly Father could give you was His Son, Jesus. The grace, the grace given to us so that we might have freedom. Despite our present external realities, our Father has given us His Son. And in Him, we experience true freedom. And as that happens, it allows us to go out with hope to give to a broken world. Let freedom ring. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we close... Um, and as the band comes up, I, we prepare our hearts to sing of this grace. Um, this grace that you so lavishly give to us. May we pause for a moment and just reflect. Have we truly experienced this freedom that is found in Christ? And if we haven't, there's an opportunity for us to come. It's, it's simple. It's the way Jesus said it would be, is that if the Son sets you free, that you are free indeed. There are no hoops to jump through. There's no seven-point steps. That all we have to do is to turn to you, to, to repent and believe, to turn from whatever it is that we believe will give us life, and to turn to Jesus 
acknowledging that we're not in control, that we're not the masters of our own lives. But Father, I also want to pray for those who have crossed the line of faith and have maybe put on that yoke again. They are free, but they have put on the yoke again because we've forgotten. We are forgetful people. And so we've run back to the things that you have saved us from. Father, my cry is that we would run to you, that I would run to you. It's not the approval of others. It's not how much I have. It's not about where I live. about putting my trust in you. And so I'm asking that we would pause for a moment, that we would reflect, that even as we sing this song about the grace that you have given us, the greatest gift that we could receive from our Father, it's Jesus Christ. And that his Spirit lives in us and allows us to hope, to eagerly await the day of your return, where there will be no more weeping, no more suffering, that what's happening internally would become an external present reality for everyone. That's our cry. And so, Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing again.